The epistle of Paul to Philemon is the letter written from Paul's prison cell to Philemon, a leader in the church at Colossae. Paul wants Philemon to forgive and embrace Onesimus as a brother. Onesimus has become a Christian under Paul's ministry, and we think that Onesimus is Philemon's runaway slave. Poor Onesimus is now faced with a dilemma. Should he return to his master and face the possibility of severe consequences, or should he continue to run? After all, who wants to be a slave? This book deals with the themes of forgiveness and reconciliation. May God help us all to live lives full of grace and forgiveness. All of us have experienced the unpleasantness of having someone transgress or sin against us. One might say it's a big part of life on this earth, of what it means to be a human being. And sadly, it goes both ways. If we're honest, we have to admit that we are often guilty of being the transgressor. But it gets worse. Not only do we transgress or sin against people, we sin against a perfect God who loves us. Whether we'll admit it or not, we often like to think of ourselves as unique, special, unlike everyone else. I'm not like those sinners out there. It is critical to understand who we are if we're going to treat people as Jesus teaches us to. We are sinners, transgressors like everyone else. We need grace and forgiveness as much as the next person. People are going to fail us and hurt us badly and the way we respond to them will be determined by how well we understand our own deep need of God's grace and forgiveness. Paul reminds Philemon that Onesimus is not the only transgressor. So we'll get that adjusted. Readjusted? Good. So uh, we're starting a brand new series, which I'm really excited about because we're talking about themes that most of us know, most of us are familiar with. In fact, it wasn't that long ago we talked about forgiveness. Uh, we talked about that when we were doing the Lord's Prayer series. That's one of the, one of the petitions that we pray. But we, uh, we, we want to revisit this because uh, forgiving people is something that we need to do on a daily basis. It's a, it's a regular part of who we are as Christians. And so we want to look at ourselves today and make sure that we are living the life that Christ has called us to live. And the book that we're going to be going through for the next few weeks is a simple little book called the book of Philemon. Has anybody ever heard of Philemon? It's a very, very brief book. It's only, uh, actually in my Bible, it covers about two-thirds of a page, and that's it. In fact, there are no chapters. It's just one, it's basically one chapter with 25 verses. And that's why when you see a, a, a scripture reference there, you're not going to see the regular, you know, the, a number, a colon, and another number. It's just the number. And that means that's the verse that we're referring to. So a favorite author of mine, his name is Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a, a book called Outliers. Has anybody ever heard of Outliers before? It's a, it's a fantastic book. And um, he's written in a number of other books that I love. Uh, there's one called Blink, the other one's called The Tipping Point, and another one is the, uh, What the Dog Saw. Well, his latest book is called David and Goliath. Now, as he was studying this and preparing to write this book, and in case you don't know, David and Goliath are biblical characters. As he was going through this book, he found that this book acted as a catalyst to bring him back to the faith of his childhood. 
He always believed in God, but he describes himself as somebody who wasn't really following the Lord, wasn't really living out the Christian faith. But as he was preparing this book and researching different stories of people who have strong faith, he found himself in a position where he was literally being confronted by the Holy Spirit to return to God. And so really this is what happened. And so when he was being interviewed and asked, uh, Malcolm, how is it that you return to your faith? He tells a story, first of all, uh, about the Huguenots in France who during the Second World War defied the Nazis. The Huguenots are a group of Christians. They, um, they refused to just sit by idly and watch the Nazis uh, destroy their country and attack the Jews. And this moved him deeply, and he knew that these people were defying the Nazis because of their faith. But there's another story, and this one is really close to home for those of us here in Winnipeg, because he tells a story of a woman who has forgiven the, the murderer of his daughter, and some of you will remember this from the 1980s. Uh, this, is, this is a young lady by the name of Candace Dirksen. Uh, does anybody remember Candace Dirksen? Uh, this, uh, this really shook me up in the time. Uh, it was back in, I think, 1985. Uh, January, actually, January 17, 1985. Candace Dirksen was found uh, bound up in that shack. Uh, some man by the name of uh, Mark Grant, he, uh, he tied her up and left her to die in that shed. And so she froze to death. That happened 32 years ago. But as, as Gladwell's researching his book, he said that the faith of Wilma Dirksen and Kenneth's father, it moved him so deeply. He was so confronted by their, their deep faith and their willingness to forgive and to go on with their life that he knew that he had to make a major change. He needed to make a commitment. And so this is what happens to him. He, Malcolm Gladwell gives, Gladwell gives his, his life to Christ. And, and here's what he says. He says, in both cases, the Huguenots and Wilma Dirksen, in both cases, people were able to do extraordinary things because they were armed with faith and came from godly traditions. In both cases, there are people who have been through enormous adversity and had survived. More than survived, they thrived. This is what we want to talk about for the next four weeks. We want to talk about thriving as Christians in this world. And I'm going to tell you that the, the, the most common issue that we all face that, that stops us dead in our tracks spiritually is holding unforgiveness in our heart, being angry at somebody and being unwilling or unable to let it go. So that's what this sermon series is all about. It's all about making supernatural decisions based on the supernatural enabling of God. Can I say that again? It's making supernatural decisions based on the supernatural enabling of God. Did you get that? No? Okay, I'll say it again. It's making supernatural decisions based on the supernatural enabling of God. In other words, we are going to make decisions as uh, decisions that honor God as the Spirit of God enables us. That's what we're talking about. And in our case, it's forgiving and letting go of, of the past. We're talking about extreme forgiveness. Turn to the person beside you and say, extreme forgiveness. That's what we're talking about, extreme forgiveness. Now, 
To learn about this forgiveness, we are going to look into Philemon. It is, again, one of the shortest books of the Bible. It's the only private letter of the Apostle Paul that is actually published in the canon of Scripture. And it's included because it's full of practical advice, practical wisdom for you and I as we live this Christian life. We need as much help as we can get. Would you agree with me on that? Especially as it concerns forgiveness. So let's take a look at this, the story of Philemon. I'm going to just uh, share with you the story now, and I would advise you or challenge you, encourage you, however you want to put this, when you get home today, just open your Bible and read this simple story of Philemon. I'm not going to read it right now, but we will be touching on verses uh, throughout the course of this series. So Paul's writing this letter to Philemon, who is actually uh, a, a good friend of the Apostle Paul. We believe that he may have been the pastor, at least a leader in the church in Colossia. How many have heard of the book of Colossians? So the book of Colossians was sent to that church where Philemon was the pastor or at least something, maybe he was the bishop, but definitely he was a leader there. And we know this, that Philemon came to Christ under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, Philemon, you... Uh, just, want, just, just reminding you, you, you owe me a lot, because I was the one that won you to Christ. I was the one that led you to Jesus. And so, they're friends. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying to Philemon in this letter. He's saying, Philemon, I have done a lot for you, uh, and now I'm asking you to do something for me. I've done a lot for you, I want you to do something for me, and here's what I want you to do. I would like you to exercise, say it. Now you can imagine Philemon, it scratches that where is this going? And it turns out that Philemon's runaway slave by the name of Onesimus has made his way to Rome. Now if you are a slave, what you want to do is you want to hide amongst people. And we don't have, we, I mean, in those days, there, there weren't the mega cities that we have today. The biggest city that he could get to was actually a city in Rome, which had over a million people, or around about a million people. So he wants to run away. And the reason he wants to hide, folks, is because he wants to stay away from the fugitivari. Can you say that? The fugitivari. Don't say it. It's too hard. Basically, the fugitivari, their job was to go around and round up runway, runaway slaves. And you did not want to get caught by these guys because they were pretty brutal. A runaway slave would be branded on his forehead with the letters F-U-G, which stands for fugitivus. That means he's a fugitive. And so for the rest of his life, that slave would have that brand on his head and literally, he could literally never run away again because if anybody ever saw him anywhere, they would know who he was and where he was from. The punishment inflicted on runaway slaves was sometimes a deliberate breaking of the bones or the joints uh, and often was a, a permanent maiming of the slaves so he could never run away again. So you can see that Onesimus does not want to get caught and he knows that he even risks death. Because those were the laws at that time. Somehow, some way, Onesimus finds his way into the company of the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, is in prison at that time. Now, I'm guessing that 
Onesimus would have known Paul because he would have obviously heard the Apostle Paul because Paul would have been good friends with Philemon, his master, would have probably been in the church in Colossus, uh, at least would have heard the letter read out to the church in Colossae. And uh, I'm guessing that when he gets to Rome, he's feeling nervous. He's feeling, oh, what have I done? What have I got myself into? He doesn't know what to do. He's hiding from the fugitivari. He doesn't want to get caught by them. He has no money, uh, or maybe if he has had money, he hasn't got much left. He doesn't know where to go, what to do, and then suddenly he finds out, oh, the Apostle Paul is here in Rome. I need to go to him. While he's with Paul, uh, Paul leads him to Christ, and next thing you know, Onesimus is a convert. He's following Jesus. He loves the Lord, and more than that, Onesimus now becomes a servant to the Apostle Paul. Now, just, did you see that? He's a slave serving Philemon. He runs away, comes to Rome, looks to Paul for help. Paul leads him to the Lord, and now Onesimus is serving the Apostle Paul. And Onesimus wants to know what to do because his life is in danger. He knows that he could be caught at any time. The Apostle Paul then writes this letter, this marvelous letter to Philemon, and he says to Philemon, uh, listen, uh, Onesimus is now a Christian. He is your, your brother in Christ, Philemon uh, 10 and 16. And I'm sending him home to you, Philemon, but I'm hoping that maybe you would find it in your heart to send him back to me, considering all I've done for you. Now, is that a guilt trip or what? Has anybody ever experienced a guilt trip? Apostle Paul's really good at it. He says, Philemon, please send Onesimus back to me. We find that in verse 21. But now what is Philemon thinking? He's read this letter. His slave has escaped. He's extremely upset about this. And I'm sure that Philemon must have had some of these thoughts going from his head, going through his head. How on earth can I forgive this crime? First of all, what kind of a message would that send to the other slaves? In fact, what, would that, what kind of a message would that send to the slaves through the city? And, and I'm sure that my, my, my fellow uh, Romans, my fellow countrymen, would be very angry at me. My fellow citizens would be very disturbed if I forgive Philemon of this crime. This will set a precedent, and it will have a ripple effect. And what about the crime itself? We think that Philemon probably uh, had money stolen from him by this slave. And who's going to pay that back? And who's going to make up for this offense? And what about my reputation, Philemon's thinking? People are going to think that I'm weak. People are going to think that huh, I've been outsmarted by a slave. This does not make me look good. At least it doesn't make me look good in the eyes of my countrymen, my friends, the people I do business with. This could have a serious effect on his, on his business. Philemon is thinking, man, this Onesimus, he actually really deserves to be severely punished. But the main thing is who's going to pay? Who's going to suffer for the crime that has been perpetrated against me? Now, I want you to stop for a moment and think about this. Philemon has been 
greatly offended, hurt, wronged. And it is within his rights as a slave owner to severely punish Onesimus at the very least and at the worst even end his life. He's got that kind of power. What's he going to do? Before I answer that question, I want to remind you of something. Every one of us has been in Philemon's position. Every one of us has been wronged in some way, at some time, at some point. You maybe were not aware of it that much when you were a child, but as you got to be a little older, you started to recognize, hey, I've been offended here. I've been hurt. I've been taken advantage of. What do I do with that? And conversely, each of us has been in the shoes of Onesimus, where we have let somebody down. We have wronged someone. You are either a Philemon or you're either Onesimus at some point in your life. You're either the one who has wronged someone or you are the one who has been wronged. And I want the Spirit of God to speak to you this morning. I want the Holy Spirit to really speak to you. Because the fact of the matter is that this life is actually a series. <laughs> Amidst all the joys and the wonders of serving God, it is also a series of hurts where you've been hurt and where you have hurt others. That's what this life is all about. It sounds pretty gloomy, doesn't it? Well, I, the good news is that it does have a good outcome. But listen to me for, for, for this very moment. You have either wronged somebody, you have been an anesimus, or you have been wronged. You are a Philemon. Someone has wronged you, hurt you, failed you, or you have wronged or hurt or failed someone else. You're either doing one or the other or both at the same time. That's life. You say, Pastor Allen, I've been wronged and hurt, but I don't see myself as the kind of person that wrongs and hurts others. I know you don't maybe see yourself that way, but you have. You have. In fact, you may have done it on the way to church this morning. You may have hurt somebody in your car on the way here. I'm not saying with your car, <laughs> but in your car. Maybe your wife, maybe your child. Maybe when you came through the door, you came in there and somebody waved at you and you didn't wave back. You didn't, someone smiled at you and you didn't smile back. And that person now is hurt. They're maybe a little bit offended. And if you were confronted with it, you'd say, well, hold on, <laughs> I didn't see them. I didn't, I didn't notice that they waved at me. I didn't notice that they smiled. It doesn't matter, you still hurt them. You say, Pastor Allen, we gotta take this before the judge. No, if we were to take every issue before the judge, folks, we'd spend our whole life in court. Right? The fact of the matter is, is you're either wronging somebody or you've been wronged by somebody. That's life, and it's every day. And sometimes it's your wife, your husband, it's your beloved child, but somebody's wronging you, or you're wronging somebody. When I was in Greece, uh, Gloria and I uh, were working with some folks there that um, were not doing good. And so Gloria and I, when we were coming home on our furlough, we're taking a year off. We've been in Greece for four and a half years. When we came back, we appeared before our boss at head office in Toronto. And we told them about 
some of the bad things that were happening there. It was, it was bad news. And uh, I thought, you know, I'll go to my, I'll go to my boss at the headquarters, and, and they're going to solve the problem. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'll go to my boss. He's going to solve the problem. Everything's going to be fine. I'll get on with my life, and all, everything's going to be good, right? Wrong. I discovered when I got back, nobody wanted to hear my news. They didn't want to hear my bad news. They wanted to hear only good news. And the problem is, I did have some good news, but I had some very bad news. They didn't want to hear it. Now I thought, well, you know, that's headquarters. They don't know me. Uh, they don't know my history. They don't know, my, they don't know anything about me. So I'm going to just leave it at that. But it, was, it got worse when I got home and I told my pastor... He didn't believe me either. I was, I was dazed. I was devastated, deeply hurt. My own pastor had let me down. My pastor, who had known me my whole life and known my family and my grandparents, had let me down. He didn't believe me, and the fact of the matter is he had no reason not to believe me. He just chose to believe the other people and not me. That hurt me more than you could imagine. I've been, somebody else was chosen over me. Now, here's, here's what happened. Glory and I decided that there's no way we could go back to Greece under the present circumstances, and that made my pastor even more upset, and it made my boss in Toronto even more upset. In fact, they, they called me back and begged us to go, and I said, no, I, I promised Gloria I'd never put us at the mercy of these people again. But here's what happened. We were home for about, I guess, two or three years, and I've got this cloud hanging over my head. I've been deeply hurt. And in, in the eyes of everybody in our, in our denomination, in our fellowship, I was the bad guy. Have you ever lived like that? And I can't tell anybody. I can't tell anybody the facts. And I thought to myself at that time, wow, I thought my pastor loved me. And... Uh, it was just as we were about to celebrate the opening of this building, I got a phone call from Greece telling me about the bad news that I told the head office about years before. It, everything had come to a head, and they wanted me to sort it out. And I said, sort it, it's out of my jurisdiction. Call my pastor. Did that feel good? It feels good, eh? <laughs> So then I get a call from my pastor. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not getting off the hook too easy, am I? And he said, I need to meet with you. And uh, he came to this, to this church. Like all the years that I'd ever known, I'd, ever, I'd always gone to his office. But now he was coming to my office. Oh, <laughs> did that feel good? <laughs> He's sitting across the desk from me, looking around. Nice office. I know. <laughs> and what's more, it's nicer than yours. <laughs> no, I didn't, say, I didn't say that. He handed me $2,000, and he gave me his credit card. 
said, Alan, I want you to go back to Greece and sort out what's going on there. And I said, I can't. I've got my grand opening in a week. He said, try. He says, I can't go. I'm, I, I, I don't, can't speak Greek. I don't, I don't know anybody there. What am I going to do? He said, just go. So I said, okay, I'll go. I couldn't say no to my pastor. So I went over there, and by God's grace and in his mercy, he helped me sort out the whole mess, and I was able then to bring back the people, the missionaries there. I was able to bring them back to Canada, and we were able to resolve the whole Greece issue. It took a long time to finally get this thing resolved. And I learned something. I learned that my pastor has feet of clay. Now, I wish I could, I could walk out of here with my head held high and pretend that I'm better than my pastor. But here's the thing, folks. I have discovered that my feet are feet of clay, too. And some of you are nodding. Please don't nod too much. That's going <laughs> to... I got feet of clay too. And guess what? You've got feet of clay too. The fact of the matter is, folks, is every single person in this room is either a Philemon or an Onesimus. You have either wronged somebody or you've been wronged. That's life. And I'm going to tell you this. If you were going to dwell on the your Philemon-ness, to coin a new word, then folks, you're going to have a hard time recognizing your Onesimus-ness. Did you get that? You're going to think everybody else is wrong, but you're never wrong. You're going to think you're the one that's always in the right and others are always in the wrong. And the fact of the matter is, is there's nobody in this room that is never wrong. That's Jesus. That's not us. So I want to I ask the Spirit of God to touch you right now and help you to see that every one of us is a sinner in need of God's grace. And as your pastor, I'm going to be the first one to confess it. I need God's grace. I'm glad you think I need God's grace, but... <laughs> You need God's grace too. So I'm going to say it first. I need God's grace. I need God's grace. No, I need God's grace. I need God's no, I do. Okay, we'll stop there. Look, at, I'm not always good at extending grace, but here's what I do know. I do know that I need it. I need lots of grace. The Apostle Paul understood that. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, I am the greatest sinner of all. Paul says, I went around killing people, murdering people, murdering the early church, the first believers. He was moving around from church to church, destroying them because he thought that they were all blasphemous until he's confronted by Jesus himself. Which brings us back to Philemon, who's asking himself the question, who is going to pay? Who's going to suffer for this crime? Because that's what we really want, right? We really want those who have offended us to really suffer. I'm going to just, mm, and, mm, and then, mm, and, and then maybe, mm, one more time. Or maybe, mm, and then, mm, and, mm. 
and then maybe give them a hug and then, mm. <laughs> right? That's what we really want. Philemon is doing. What are we going to do here? And here's what the Apostle Paul says. Look, Philemon, if Onesimus has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Oh, that's rich, Paul. That's really rich. Paul's in jail. He's got no money. And he's saying to, to Philemon, just put it on my tab. I'll take care of it. Is Paul being insincere? No, not at all. What's, what is Paul doing here? Paul is, is saying that he'll pay the bill, but we know it's not possible. Actually, what Paul is reminding Philemon of is of somebody else who paid the bill. He's reminding him of Jesus who paid the bill for Paul and for Philemon. We used to sing a song, I owed a debt I could not pay, and Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. Remember that song? That's what Paul's reminding Philemon of now. Jesus paid the debt that you and I owe, Philemon. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, Philemon. Do you think you could find it in your heart to forgive Onesimus? Considering all that Jesus did for you. So far, it's been Timothy who's been dictating this letter. Paul's in jail, and by the way, he probably didn't have a very good eyesight or hardly any eyesight, so he needed somebody else to do the writing for him. He's sitting there. He is dictating to Timothy, and, and, and suddenly this point grips Paul so, so deeply that he says to Timothy, give me that pen. And then he says, I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. How's that for a guilt trip? You're sitting here holding unforgiveness in your heart, holding bitterness or grudge. Someone's transgressed against you. Someone's sinned against you. Someone's failed you. Somebody has sinned and done something evil. Well, folks, look in the mirror. You don't need to look at anybody else. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now because none of us has a right to hold unforgiveness or hold a grudge in our heart. Paul says, before you get all high and mighty, Philemon, thinking of how much you are owed and thinking of the, the virtue and the righteousness of your cause. Remember two things. Remember what Jesus did for you by dying on the cross for your sins. And secondly, remember this. Remember what I, Paul, did for you by bringing you to salvation. Boy, talk about getting everything into perspective. Paul is actually demanding that Philemon exercise extreme forgiveness. Say it with me again. Extreme forgiveness. Paul considering, Paul says to Philemon, considering what Jesus has done for you, I'm asking you to do the same. Paul's saying, 
Extreme forgiveness is the order of the day. And guess what? Jesus demands it too. Not just the Apostle Paul. Jesus demands that we offer extreme forgiveness. Do you want to know something, folks? Every single time that we pray, Jesus tells us to ask, for, ask God for forgiveness and to forgive others. Did you know that? Not just when you think of it. Every single day when you are saying your prayers. Remember we taught the Lord's Prayer and, and Jesus said, whenever you pray, pray like this. And, and one of the petitions is, God, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. That's what it means to be a Christian. You are forgiving even as you're asking God to forgive you. And here's what Jesus says. He says, if you don't forgive, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you. You think of how you've been offended and how you've been hurt. And Jesus is saying, let it go. Because if you don't, your own spiritual life is in jeopardy. <laughs> That's Christianity. And then Paul says, yes, my brother, please do me this favor. For the Lord's sake, give me this encouragement in Christ. Now, how on earth could this be for the Lord's sake? What possible benefit could this have? Well, you're going to find out over the next few weeks what benefit it has and why Paul says this is for the Lord's sake. But let me just give you a quick glimpse. First of all, folks, this forgiveness, this extreme forgiveness that we're talking about is what I would call extreme warfare. Did you get that? You know what? In the 1980s, in the, in the 1990s, uh, even into the 2000s, there were all kinds of books on spiritual warfare. Has anybody ever heard of spiritual warfare? And they all kinds of strategies, do this and do that and turn around five times and walk around the, the, that and then walk up this way and pray that way and bend over and turn around and look it. If you want to do spiritual warfare, if you want to defeat Satan, what you do is you forgive. You forgive the people in your life who have hurt you and offended, offended you and let you down. This is warfare. And this is how we win as Christians. The Apostle Paul says that, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Did you, did you hear that? We are more than conquerors through Christ. We are victorious, but only if we're forgiving. That's where your victory comes from. That's where your power comes from. That's where your ability to pray through and see answers to prayer comes from. It's from defeating Satan. How? Through forgiving. It's called extreme forgiveness. Onesimus. We talk about the Lord's sake. Onesimus, once he becomes a Christian, he becomes a blessing to Paul and indirectly to all the churches and to all Christians throughout the world and throughout the ages. Did you think about that? Because now Onesimus is being used by God to make it possible for Paul to do his great work, 
which has blessed us all. You know, when we talk about the great men of the faith, we think of the Apostle Paul who wrote so much of the Bible, but we don't stop to think of the people who helped Paul and who made it possible for Paul to do his job. Onesimus, for the Lord's sake. Think about that for a moment. Next time you forgive somebody, just think of of what effect that person will be able to have on the kingdom of God because you forgave them. And of course, Paul's saying this for very, can we say selfish reasons? I don't know if you want to, maybe that's too uh, negative a word, but Paul's saying, I need Onesimus Philemon. Please, forgive him. And if you would, let him come back and help me as I do my work as I'm in prison. This, uh, this past Easter, there was a, a terrible attack on the Coptic church in Egypt. Some of you may have seen that. A full 10% of the Egyptian population is actually Coptic Christian. Copt- the Coptics are a very ancient Christian order. And they've been worshiping God for hundreds and hundreds of years there in Egypt. And on Easter Sunday, some Islamic extremists decided they were going to go in and and blow up the church. And so here's here's what we see. Man, there's so much that we take for granted here in Canada, isn't there? But there's the blood-stained pews in that Coptic church. People bewildered and dazed. They'd come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on that Sunday, dozens of people died or were severely injured or hurt. And there they are, preparing to bury their dead. These Islamist terrorists, Islamic terrorists, were they deserving of forgiveness? This is an extreme extreme example. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. In these extreme situations, it requires extreme... This is what Jesus Christ calls us to. You say, Pastor Allen, you don't know what I've been through. No, I probably don't. But I do know this. I know what Jesus has been through. He went to the cross for you. And now he asks you, Not to die for anybody else, but to forgive. You know, if we are going to extract an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, someone said that this world will be full of blind, toothless people. (laughs) What happens when we run out of eyes and teeth, folks? This past week, Christianity Today reported on the Egyptian response to this catastrophe. There were 12 seconds of silence on television. And by the way, on television, 12 seconds of silence is like an eternity, an awkward eternity. The talk show host, Amr Adib, a prominent talk show host, leaned forward as he searched for a response 
to this killing. And by the way, this is not the first time. This has been the history of the Coptics throughout the centuries. They have been persecuted and put to death for their faith. And here's what he says, quote, The Copts of Egypt, Copts, C-O-P-T-S, the Copts of Egypt are made of steel, he uttered. Moments earlier, Adib was watching a colleague in his simple home in Alexandria speak with a widow, the widow of Nassim Fahim, who was the guard at St. Mark's Cathedral in this seaside Mediterranean city. It was that guard who made the bomber go through the, through the checkpoint search and actually ended up saving a lot of people's lives, but he lost his own. And here's what his wife says, quote, I'm not angry at the one who did this. Her children were at her side. She says, I'm telling him, the murderer, may God forgive you and we also forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. Does that send chills up and down your spine? I got chills going down my spine even as I'm saying these words. The stunned talk show host, Adib, stammered about the cops bearing atrocities over 100 years but couldn't escape the central scandal. He says this, how great is this forgiveness that you have? And when he said that, his voice cracked, getting very emotional. And he says, quote, if it were my father... I could never say this, but this is their faith and this is their religious conviction. And he said that to millions and millions of Egyptian viewers. Extreme attack that required extreme forgiveness. And that extreme forgiveness, remember what Paul said, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, is a testimony to millions and millions of Egyptians of the God that the Christians serve. Would you stand with me, please? Father, today we thank you for this book of the Bible and for this new series. We thank you, Lord, that you want to do something very special in our lives today and through the course of the next four weeks. We pray, God, that our hearts would be open to your Holy Spirit and that you would help us to see when we are Philemon and when we are Onesimus, when we are the one who's been wronged and hurt and we are the, when we are the ones who have done the wrong and hurt others. God, help us, we pray, to lean upon your grace and to be quick to extend grace to those who need it. Because we understand how much we need your grace. We pray this for your sake, Father, for your name's sake, for the Lord's sake, as the Apostle Paul said it, because we know when we forgive, we loose people, we release people from the bondage of unforgiveness which is a whole new form of slavery. Father, if there are any today who are enslaved to their grudge, to their forgiveness, we pray right now in the name of Jesus, would you set them free and help them utter those words, I forgive you. And we thank you now, Lord, for the teaching of Scripture. No other religion teaches extreme forgiveness. 
No other religion expects this. But we serve the living God, the true God, the real God, who understands what we need, who understands how important it is for us to be forgiven and to forgive others. This is our daily practice as Christians. Give us the grace, now we pray, to live this faith out authentically. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Now tell the person beside you, go forgive someone.